This is Pastor James Guyo, and welcome to Berean Sovereign Grace Church in Westerville, Ohio. We are a Sovereign Grace teaching ministry, and you can visit our website, www.salvationinchristalone.com, to hear more of our messages, and also go to soundcloud.com and search for James Guyo. My last name is spelled G-U-Y-O, or you can search Berean Sovereign, just Berean Sovereign, and you'll see our messages there also. May the Lord bless your hearing, and may he serve you for his sake, for Christ's sake, and for the sake of his gospel. And now to our gospel teaching. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I come before your holy throne in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Lord, we worship you again and thank you for your grace, your wonderful grace, marvelous grace towards us in Christ and thanking you for him and his faithfulness in accomplishing our salvation, perfecting our standing before you. We thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit again who has inspired the teaching that is in your word and who continues to teach us and open the things of Christ, the secret things, the hidden things, to us that we may understand them and believe them. And we pray, Lord, that you would help with understanding as I go, as we go into the text and trying to understand the manner of grace, the nature of grace. Uh, Lord, that we may exalt you for your grace towards us. Lord, I pray for all who shall hear this message, that you may grant them ears, spiritual ears. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be talking about Judas Iscariot, Judas, the son of perdition, with respect to salvation and grace, because a lot of people do not really appreciate what grace is, they think that they are somehow good. And by God's grace, God is just coming to affirm what they already are by themselves and in themselves. And so when they read the story and account of Judas, they think Judas was just some bad guy that was so removed from us, the normal people, just some bad guy who did things that are beyond our own abilities to do. But that is false, and that just minimizes the grace of God towards us in salvation. We think maybe we are just better people. We are better people than others, and that is false. And so we're going to work our teaching from a number of scriptures by centering around what the Lord Jesus Christ said about his own betrayal by Judas Iscariot. So we begin by reading Luke 22, verse 22, where the Lord says, And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And in John seventeen twelve, the Lord said in his high priestly prayer, 
while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And in John 13, verses 26 and 27, the Lord said, Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. He's talking about, or he was talking about his betrayal. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the scripture says, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What do you do? Do quickly. Judas Iscariot was born to his parents, and he, like everyone, also had a grandmother and grandfather. And they had high hopes for him as their son and grandson. Judas' mother nursed him, changed his diapers. Of course, they did not have the kind of diapers as we have in our day. But you get the point. But Judas' mother was joyful that he was born. He was a cute little boy with a lot of life ahead of him. Very good life, promising life. At least it seemed to them by many accounts of human judgment. And Judas also, I'm sure, had hopes to raise his own family like every boy on his street. I don't think they had metrosexuals then, but you never know. But while this was happening, Judas did not know that he had been raised for a different mission. He had been raised for the glory of God. Like Pharaoh before him, Judas also had this written on his resume. For this very purpose, I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. And this was God speaking to Pharaoh, that he raised Pharaoh, that he, God may show his power, demonstrate his power in the earth by destroying Pharaoh. And Judas, like Pharaoh, did not know that he was also raised for this very purpose, for the purpose of betraying the Son of God that God may demonstrate his power in him. And so God appointed Judas to be the instrument of his son's betrayal, the Lord Jesus Christ, to which the Son of God would come and say in Luke twenty-two twenty-two, as we read, And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Jesus said, looking at that statement, he has to go. But go where, Jesus? Go to the cross. But Jesus, how? By the way that has been appointed. Appointed 
determined, decreed by who? Not by the devil, not by the holy angels, not by his parents, but by God. God determined it. And what does it mean to determine? It is the Greek word horizo, which was transliterated and migrated into English as horizon. And this word means to mark out the boundaries or limits as the horizon is the line at which the earth's surface and the sky appear to meet. So it means to decide, to predetermine, to ordain, to appoint. So what did God predetermine? He determined by his own counsel, by his own will, his sovereign pleasure, that Christ would die by crucifixion for the purpose of salvation, for the purpose of the salvation of his people through the hands of sinful men. And we know this from Peter's sermon, Apostle Peter's sermon from the book of Acts chapter 2, verses 22 and 23, where Apostle Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by, listen to this, by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Also, Apostle Peter continues to preach in Acts 4 verses 27 and 28 and says, For truly, against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together, listen to this, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Pay attention to the selection of the words being used by the Apostle Peter. To do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. The Greek word translated determined before is proorizo. It means to appoint beforehand, to decide beforehand in other words, to predestinate. And so Jesus was delivered, that is, crucified by the predetermination of God. And what that means is the template of how Jesus was going to be put to death was designed by God. Every detail of it. And the resources to carry out that purpose were determined and provided by God himself. And as you probably know, if you are familiar with construction work, before any building can be constructed, engineers, architects come up with a detailed plan and quantity surveyors determine the resources needed to accomplish the project. And it's not man who invented planning. 
it's not man who invented building plants. God has always been in this business of planning. Judas, the chief priest, Pilate, Herod were all part of the resources needed to accomplish the project of crucifying Christ. Judas had to betray Jesus. Jesus had to be crucified by the hands of sinful men and not hands of holy and righteous men. Jesus was the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. And so sin entered into the world by God's decree and purpose that his son may be lifted up, that he may be crucified by the hands of sinful men. And if you are following God's argument, you cannot come up with another conclusion than that sin was a necessary instrument in the exaltation of Christ. So Judas, the chief priest, Pilate and Herod, the Pharisees, had no way to avoid this purpose of God. They could not decide to go on vacation, to go to Hawaii, on the beach, go to Disney, and leave this work undone. For the hour of the cross was appointed from eternity. God had fixed the date, he fixed the time and the people with godly precision. Judas had to do it. His will, whether free or not, could not stop him from doing what God had determined to be done. He was appointed to this task. He had no power of contrary choice, for to say that is to say God's will and purpose can be frustrated. When God said, let there be light, the light did not say, oh wait a minute, not at the moment. No, the command was irresistible. The scriptures say, and there was light. And brother Job knew what many in the church do not understand. This is what Job knew of God, even though Job did not have the book of Job written to read and learn from it. In Job 42 verse 2, Job says, I know that you can do everything. And that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. No purpose of God can be frustrated by anything that men decide to do or don't do. No purpose of God can be thwarted and God always accomplishes his good pleasure. And his good pleasure was determined from eternity, like all things. And God accomplished his good pleasure through the instrumentality of Judas. God is the one who raised the whole line of Judas' family. And all his four parents before him were raised that Judas may be raised. They could not catch pneumonia 
and die. They could not catch TB or any of the infectious diseases that would have threatened their lives. Their teeth could have cavities, but they could not die without any offspring. God kept them and he fed them and he made sure they continued to have children. Judah's mother had to conceive. Her womb could not be closed like that of some other women until Judah showed up on the scene. And God was not passively doing this. God did not look to see who was most likely going to betray his son. He did not look through the corridors of time to the corridor of time and say, oh, let me see who is it who can betray my own son. No, God was actively working as the Lord Jesus Christ said of his father in John 5, 17. He said, my father is working until now and I myself am working. God was moving heaven and earth to the finale on the cross. The devil was in on this. And God was moving him too. He had very specific instructions. The devil knew he was going to possess someone, to enter someone, maybe Peter, who seemed to have some foot and mouth disease. If not Peter, maybe Judas. But the devil overheard the conversation between the Lord and the disciple John, the disciple that Jesus loved. And in John 13, John records and says, Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? And yes, Jesus' response. John 13, 26 and 27. Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What do you do, do quickly. What do you do, do quickly. Jesus pointed to the disciples and also to the devil, who it was who was supposed to betray him. And Judas could not resist it. It was impossible. The devil could not resist either. But their wills meant nothing. God's sovereignty was ruling and overruling and moving every minute detail. What is the devil doing at this place anyway? Why was he not messing up with the Canaanites or the Samaritans at this time? What business of his was it that he should show up where the Lord was gathered with his disciples? We have to ask these questions. Otherwise, we miss a lot of glorious things. And the answer to that is, the devil had to be there only by God's sovereign determination, will, purpose, and power. Judas, the devil, and their sin were servants in God's hands to do his bidding for his glory. And so there he was. And so Jesus, the son of God, who had all the power and authority 
gave the devil and Judas instruction. And listen to this. The Lord said, and having dipped the bread, John says, and having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, that's Jesus, dipping the bread and giving it to Judas Iscariot. Now, after the piece of bread, listen to this, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. And the devil immediately enters Judas Iscariot. The work that he has to do needs more than Judas. It needs the devil because this story does not begin here. It has roots in the events of the garden, the garden of Eden. The serpent has to come and bruise the heel of Eve's seed, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus commanded Judas and the devil to expedite the mission to keep the schedule of his crucifixion on time. That, my friends, is absolute sovereignty. That is unrivaled sovereignty. You will not see this kind of sovereignty if you are beholden to this human responsibility and human will stuff. Human responsibility and human will accomplish nothing. They do accomplish nothing because they determine nothing. Human responsibility does not mean that sin has a power to accomplish anything by themselves. Not anything useful. God would not have waited for human responsibility to come up with a plan of crucifying his own son. This is beyond human ability. Human responsibility just means God makes man accountable for things that he determined for them to do. Things that he appointed for them. God hardened Pharaoh's heart and yet made him accountable for resisting that which he could not do. Pharaoh could not obey. Pharaoh could not repent. And yet God still made him accountable for something that God hardened his heart to do or not to do. Pharaoh could not obey God because it is God who makes one to obey God. And yet God made Pharaoh accountable for something that he could not do so that he may destroy him. That's sovereignty. All these people seem to be doing things freely. They seem to be doing things freely. And yet God non-invasively moves them and moves everything to their appointed end. The devil has to march at Jesus' orders. Whatever you do, do it quickly, was the command. Even the devil did not have the free will to delay or say no, for he knew exactly who it was who had commanded him. And so he obliged because God had spoken and Jesus is God. So what am I saying? I'm saying that God is absolutely sovereign. He is the first cause of all things and in all things, 
it was not sin for God to appoint the devil and Judas to do his bidding in the crucifixion of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That just goes to show us that God is untouchable. His ways are past finding out. God cannot sin people. You have to know that. God is not a man. He is not a creature. Only moral creatures sin. Angels and men. God is holy. He is righteous and immutable. He cannot change. It's only moral, mutable creatures that sin and that can sin. God's judgments and his ways are holy and righteous even when they appear to be contrary to our silly sensibilities of moralism. Sinners know nothing of righteousness. Sinners know nothing about righteousness. It is God alone who determines what is righteous. Whatever God does is righteous because it is God doing it. If God does anything, it is righteous. God is righteous even if he does not do anything. If God decrees for there to be sin, it is righteous for him to do that. But it is sin for you to do the sin that he decreed. And so it was sin for the devil and Judas. And yet it is God who purposed it. That's what it means to be God, friends. That's what it means to be the sovereign one who sits on the throne and who does whatever is right in his own sight. But many who stand on their hind legs and say, but that is not fair. Why then does he still find fault whoever resisted his will? Whoever resisted his will? And the answer is provided in Romans 9. But indeed, all men, who are you? Who are you to reply against God? Who are you? What authority do you have? What power, what jurisdiction do you have to bring God into your court and ask him about his ways? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lamp to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? Doesn't God have the right to do with that which is his to make from not robots? God does not say men are robots. To be a robot is actually a step up. God says he has power over the clay. <laughs> some piece of that. God has the power from some clay to fashion vessels for honor or for dishonor as is right in his own sight. What is God saying? God is saying a creature has no right to question him, period. End of story. Full stop. All these doctrinal formulations provide a soft landing about God's sovereignty to make it approachable, to make God approachable, to make God tasteful and soft to the touch, to put some lotion 
on God's sovereignty. All these arguments, these foolish arguments, they are designed to make something of man, to make something of the clay, when God has said the clay has no power of self-determination and is nothing. It is clay, a product of dust, and can be trampled upon and can be used whichever way God has determined the porter who has the freedom and the power to do whatever he pleases. So with that understanding of God's sovereignty, we want to go back to Judas. Why did Judas betray Jesus? And many professing Christians, and sadly, even a lot from the camp of those who profess that God is sovereign, who say, because of his human will and human responsibility, and who even go as far as to say, Judas could have repented. Judas could have repented, they say, if he wanted to. Is that true? Could Judas, the son of perdition, one appointed for hell, repent against God's will? See, repentance is a gift from God. It's God who has to cause repentance. Judas had to betray Jesus. Judas had to betray Jesus. And there was sin. But hear what Jesus says in John 17, 12. Jesus is praying for his disciples. He's praying for his people. He is interceding for all the elect in him. He says, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. We have to read that again. John 17, 12. Jesus says, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition. Why? That the scripture might be fulfilled. Just from this verse, We learn a number of important things from Jesus about what is really happening. Number one, Jesus says, those that the Father gave to him, he kept. And he tells us that he kept them in your name, the name that God gave Jesus, which is Jesus. So all of God's people are kept not by their diligence, but are kept in the name of Jesus. His name. Number two. None of those that the father gave to Jesus were lost. None of those that the father gave to Jesus were lost and will be lost. Why? Because Jesus kept them. So we we can't have a theology that says some of those that the father gave to Jesus to keep will be lost. Judas was not one of those that were given to Jesus to keep. The son of perdition was lost. He was lost. Where was he lost? Was he lost in the jungle? Was he lost in a bush somewhere? No. He was lost to hell. He was lost to condemnation. Why? Why Jesus? That the scripture might be fulfilled. Scripture had to be fulfilled. So you see Jesus had a very high view of scripture. 
And so Judas could not repent and be saved because that would have broken scripture. And Jesus said scripture cannot be broken. Judas was not among those given by the Father to be saved or kept by Jesus. And we need to be mindful of the fact that Judas was no worse sinner on a day-to-day basis than Peter, who denied Jesus three times. Judas was no worse sinner than the average Christian on a day-to-day basis. Judas had the money bag, but he did not buy a Bentley with it. He was not different from all the many folks on Wall Street and the politicians. He was a hustler. He was sent to hell not because he loved money, but because he was not elect. Here is Judas' problem again. And it was a serious problem. We have to think theologically. According to Jesus, Judas never was chosen to be saved by Jesus Christ. He never was chosen to be kept by Jesus. He was a son of perdition according to Jesus. One destined to destruction. That is one who was predestined, predetermined to go to hell. But Judas' parents, Judas' friends did not know all this about Judas. And Judas did not know this either. They too, like every parent, thought they had some nice kid who was doing what other kids in the neighborhood did. They were playing and occasionally stealing from their neighbors. And so there's some prominent theologian who said in a tweet some few months back, men come to heaven by God's sovereign will and go to hell by their own will. Men come to heaven by God's sovereign will and go to hell by their own will. Do you see what is wrong with that statement? It sounds very high sounding, but what that statement is saying is God somehow has nothing to do with someone going to hell. That it is by man's own predetermination that they go to hell. People go to hell like Judas because they are sons of perdition. They were not given to Christ to save. Christ did not die for them. Christ did not intercede for them. And this is so that the scriptures may be fulfilled. God's sovereign will determines who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. It's God's sovereign will that determines who is the vessel of honor and who is the vessel of dishonor. So Judas had a priest problem. Judas had an election problem and a clay problem. We want to hear that again. Judas had a priest problem, an election problem, and a clay problem. I said earlier that Judas was no worse than Peter and certainly no worse than you. And yet Peter, in spite of his problems with foot and mouth disease, was saved. Why was Peter saved and not Judas? Because of this right here. 
Listen to Luke 22:32. This is the Lord Jesus talking to Peter. The Lord says, But I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned, and when you have returned, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Jesus says, I have prayed for you, Peter, and the other ten disciples. So Peter had an intercessor. Peter had a high priest. Peter had a mediator between him and God. A mediator whom the Father hears and loves in the person of Jesus Christ. A mediator who prayed for him. Peter had election going on for him and his hope was not in his repentance but in that he was given to Christ and Christ kept him and Christ interceded for him. Did you hear that? Peter had a high priest. Peter had election on his side. Peter had grace on his side. Peter had Jesus on his side. Peter could not be lost. Judas, on the other hand, was clay prepared for destruction. He only, by one verse, missed to be a vessel of honor. There's a thin line between love and destruction. Judas was in Romans 9.22. Romans 9.22 says, What if God, wanting to show his wrath, and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. And Peter was in the next verse, Romans 9.23. Just a difference of one verse is the difference between the vessel prepared for destruction and a vessel prepared for glory. Listen to Romans 9.23. That he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory. Peter was prepared as a vessel of mercy whilst Judas was a vessel of destruction, son of perdition. So Judas had a clear problem that he could not fix by his own will. And this level of discussion is over and above what many consider human responsibility. If anyone drags human responsibility at this level of discussion, then they do not understand what is being said. This is the arena of God's sovereignty. And humans are not invited here, but only as instruments. But only as instruments. So Judas had to go because God from eternity wrote down the name of Judas and said it is he who would betray his son. He is the son of perdition. So we have a lot of people who do not understand cause and effect. A lot of people who profess to believe in God's sovereignty and yet hold to a very watered down a law sovereignty. And they'll come and say, see, God's sovereignty is working side by side, working side by side with the human responsibility. No. Cause and effect, my friends, you have to understand 
first cause and second cause. God's sovereignty contains, it establishes, it enforces human responsibility. This is first cause, friends, and human responsibility is secondary cause. Understand cause and effect. Listen to Luke 22, 22 again. Let's establish cause and effect here. Let's establish first cause and secondary cause. Jesus said, and truly, the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Pay attention to the first part of Jesus' statement. The first part of Jesus' statement establishes the first cause. It is God's determination of how the Son has to go. That's the first cause. And the second part of the statement and the second part of the statement establishes the effect and the result of it. The second part of the statement establishes the instrumentality, the secondary cause, and the responsibility brought upon the secondary agent for doing what God predetermined and moved them to be done. The first cause establishes what the secondary cause does and never vice versa. The first cause is always the first mover. The secondary cause is only responding to the movement of the first cause. The secondary cause, because they are limited in power and knowledge, they think everything that they are doing is uncaused or it is caused by them, that it has its own origin in themselves. They do not feel any violation of their will, but that does not remove the reality that God is constantly violating their will to move them exactly where he wants them to go. God is always violating people's will when we ask him to convert people to Christ. But he does not need us for that to happen. For the scripture says in Proverbs 1.21, in Proverbs 21 verse 1, it says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. And it is this that many do not understand. God does not make secondary agents responsible because he was not involved in their actions as many assume, as that would make him unfair, so people argue. What people miss is that it is part of what it means to be sovereign, to make someone responsible, accountable, for not performing or performing something that God caused them to do, or to cause them to perform something he moved them to do by his hand and yet still charge them guilty. So God has the sovereign right to charge someone as guilty for doing something or not doing something. God always stirs the hearts of kings to go to war, but he makes them responsible for doing something 
that he caused them to do. Isaiah 10. Read Isaiah 10. God moved Isaiah to go to war. And yet he came and chastised Assyria and said, well, you're just an axe that is boasting over the hand that wills you. And God is saying, you're not doing anything by yourself, by your power. I'm the one moving you as instruments in my hands. And yet I'm going to make you responsible for what you did. That's sovereignty, friends. God moved David, King David, to number his men in Israel. And yet God chastised David for doing something that he caused him to do. And, and this just blows people's minds because they don't read the Bible. They don't know what the Bible actually says. In First Samuel 24, we are told that God was angry at Israel. And so the scriptures say, Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. And he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. So God moved, he stirred the heart of King David that they may go and number Israel. And they were not supposed to go and number Israel. But see the movement of things. It is the Lord, the first cause, who moved David to number Israel. In First Chronicles 21, the writer reports and says, It is the devil that moved David. But at God's instruction, still, God is the first cause of that cascade of actions or events. David numbers Israel, and yet God comes and punishes David for doing something that God moved him to do. That is cause and effect. That is first cause. Brothers and sisters, we have to understand this. David did not even know that God is the one who moved his heart to number Israel. And yet God made David responsible for a sin that he caused him to do. Listen to David's response. And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done, but now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Do you see what David has done? God has caused David to number Israel. David is not aware of that. David is not aware of what, what is happening in the spiritual realm. God is the first mover. David is a secondary cause. David assumes the responsibility of doing something that God made him to do. If David had any power, he would have stood up on his hind legs and protested. But no, God made him responsible and accountable for his actions. That is sovereignty. That is pure and unrivaled sovereignty, friends. And sadly, and unfortunately, this kind of sovereignty has been muted in most pulpits. And that is why people who think they know something about sovereignty get shocked when they begin to hear what sovereignty actually entails. And they begin to realize that compatibilism in its very simplest form is very muted 
and a very low form of God's sovereignty. Humans have no space that they are free from God. There is no place in the universe that is free from God's control. God controls everything about everything and about anything. And yet he still makes moral beings responsible for things that they do. So what can we learn from this? What can we learn from this? We learn that God is absolutely sovereign. And because of this sovereign power, he makes men responsible. And I'm not denying that men are responsible. Men are responsible. Because if they do something, they are the ones who commit the act. They are the ones who actually do the deed. So they are responsible. But we have to look at the molecular level understanding of what is happening behind the scenes. Because God has given us that understanding. So the question that we may want to answer is, why then are men responsible for things that God causes them to do anyway? And, and the simple answer is, because God is sovereign and men are not. God is not waiting for man to act and then he responds. God does not respond to anything. He is always the first mover. And so what we see are the effects of the movement of the power and will of God. They are only effects of the one who works all things according to the counsel of his own will. The one who says in Isaiah 46, 10 and 11, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I'll do all my pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Did you hear the sovereignty in that statement? God says, I've spoken it. And because I've spoken it, I'll also bring it to pass. Because I have purposed it. And I'll also do it. So the will of God is irresistible because he's sovereign. So reflecting and thinking about what this sovereignty means in the context of salvation, we, we have people in the church who think that they are better than Judas. They think that they just have better judgment because they are better educated. They have better parents. They live in a better neighborhood. And they think that somehow they could have pulled this off differently than Judas if they were in his position. They think they are able to repent by their own power. But no man can turn by themselves unless God turns them. Human will is powerless. The flesh profits nothing. And without me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. And that is why those who understood their weakness prayed thus in Lamentations 5.21, Turn us back to you, O Lord, 
and will be restored, renew our days as of old. Turn us back. So it is sheer arrogance on the part of man to exalt man's will over God's sovereignty. Man's will and God's sovereignty do not compare. And they do not exist on the same page. Professing Christians do not realize, some of them, that the only reason why they stand is because God was pleased in himself to not make them vessels of dishonor, to not make them sons and daughters of perdition. God was pleased in himself to make them vessels of honor by his grace. And that is to say, the difference between you and Judas is not in you, but in grace. Not that you acted good and diligent and made good on your human responsibility. The difference between you and hell is Jesus Christ, the high priest of our confession. The difference between you and hell is the blood of Christ, is the cross of Christ. The difference between two lumps of clay is Jesus Christ and him alone. It is in him that we were chosen, in him justified, in him accepted by God as vessels of mercy. Forget your will. It belongs to the realm of the flesh. And as I said, the Lord says of the flesh, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and their life. The only difference between you and Judas is Jesus Christ. It's his intercession. It's election, it's grace, it's mercy. It's not your free will. Praise God for his electing grace. Praise God for his salvation. You could not come to Christ by yourself. You would have done worse than Judas. Do not pray the prayer of the Pharisee and say, I thank you God, I'm not like these other men, the adulterers, the fornicators, and even like this text collector. That's the prayer of many people. Even though they still profess to be Christians, but they think somehow they, there is something good in them that makes them different from the text collector. But the text collector prayed differently because he understood that between him and hell was only Jesus. And so he prayed and he beat his chest and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that's the confession that God receives. That is to say, I am capable of doing everything that is in the book of sin. And if I have to stand before God, I only stand by the righteousness of Christ. I only stand by his grace. I only stand by his finished work. Praise God for Jesus Christ. Praise God for Christ and his finished work.
praise the Lord. May the Lord bless you. May you open your eyes, your spiritual eyes, and give you understanding of these things. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you again for your kindness and mercy. Thank you, Lord, for this teaching. I just pray, Lord, that you cause your people to hear. You give them ears, spiritual ears, Lord, open them up to the truth of the beauty and glory of Christ, the beauty of possessing the righteousness of Christ because it is that alone that makes a difference. Christ alone is our sufficiency. Without Christ, we are nothing. Lord, I pray and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.